Hello and welcome. You're listening to Find the Outside, the podcast. I'm Tim Merry. And I'm Tuesday Ryanhart. This week on the podcast, we are getting into personal practice. And uh, we were literally just chatting before we got onto this podcast, Tuesday, about how the systems change is happening in every part of our life, whether we like it or not. <laughs> You know, whether you're, whether you're in the midst of starting a little soccer club in your community, uh, like I am, and you hit the systemic issues in the sports system, or, or whether you're tackling some of the large scale projects we're in. And then it always comes back to this question of like, how do I hold my own center? How do I hold my own clarity in the midst of it all? And not get caught up in it or lost in it, which brings us back to personal practice again and again and again and again, right? That's right. You know, I sent a note to someone recently saying kind of wishing you clarity where you have it and uncertainty when it's needed. And I thought, <laughs> sounds really nice. Look at me. But I also was like, yeah, that's kind of it, right? That's the that's right. the piece around personal practice is actually allowing you, and you sparked it for me when you talked about the clarity, your personal clarity, like allowing yourself and like getting to what is actually like your true deep clarity and like not one bit more. And so you're in uncertainty other places, right? And being able to tolerate that and being able to sit with it and being able, I mean, I feel like tolerate is a good word, right? Because uncertainty is not, I mean, sometimes we can totally go with it and we're in the flow and that feels great. But a lot of times uncertainty is right at the edge of being tolerable, right? It's just right at your own edge of like, can I do this? Will I pull back or will I like assert or calcify? How long can I stay in this kind of uncertainty? And I feel like personal practice mm. is key to being able to navigate both the clarity and the uncertainty. Yeah. And uh, I think a distinction that's been really helpful for me as we begin to dig in, dig into this on the podcast um, is that uh, there's, a, there's a difference for me between kind of like my brain feeling clear Mm. you know or my brain being conceptually clear mm -hmm. you know to me having a feeling of clarity that actually mm -hmm. I can feel quite I can actually feel quite clear even though I'm incredibly confused and mm -hmm. uh, or, or even though I'm in the midst of an enormous amount of uncertainty I can actually feel clarity and and it's not that like my brain has figured something out and I'm at rest or that my heart isn't beating fast but there's something, uh, I don't know, I feel like this is something, one of my personal practices is meditation, mm. right? And, you know, what I find when I meditate is that I, I go inside of myself and I get to witness like all of the craziness that's going on inside yeah. of Tim Mary, <laughs> you know? Like all of the multiple opinions and perspectives, that, many of them that don't agree, mm -hmm. all of the multiple conflicting emotions that I have, uh, all of the conflicting neurosis and memories that are playing out inside of me all of the time. Um, and at the same time, all of that can be happening. And uh, uh, there are times when I can feel okay with it, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, I, and, you know, and, and there's something about that training that helps me be able to sit in rooms where all of that's happening, where multiple yeah. worldviews are colliding, where, uh, uh, there is a massive uh, diversity of opinion and perspective and race and class all s colliding into each other. And then in some ways, even though I don't know where the room's going to go, even though it feels profoundly unclear where we might land in the next couple of hours, I don't actually feel 
feel unclear, even mm. though I don't know what's happening or I don't know what's going on. We were just in Europe, right? In the midst mm. of a highly complex project, 45 different people, 18,000 person organization, massive implications. And we were genuinely making it up in the room, mm. you know, huge things at stakes. And, uh, but at no point of being in the room with you did I feel doubt, even though mm-hmm. I felt outrageously uncertain, mm-hmm. completely mm-hmm. unclear where we were going to go, not mm-hmm. quite sure what the next step in the process was be. Mm-hmm. I actually felt completely okay with it, partly because you were there and we were in it and I felt like our team was amazing. Yeah. But partly because of all this training I've had to do around kind of going inside myself and getting comfortable with that inside of me. Am I making any sense? That kind of distinction between feeling clarity, but being being able to kind of be in a lot of uncertainty. I know it doesn't make, anyway, what do you think? No, I think it, it does make sense to me. It makes a lot of sense to me because I was thinking, um, uh, and uh, yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me because what I was thinking of was that, um, I, and also in that situation, I remember thinking over those several days, like not at one point did I ever feel like freaking out or like, you know, it was just like, it was just, it was just like, oh, this is a lot. This is uncertain. Mm. This is, I wonder, I wonder what we're going to do. Um, And so as you say that, I just thought about like sinking down below some of the thoughts, which can stay quite unclear, right? Because you're not sure where you're going to go. But like sinking down below that, I think what you're saying is that that you can feel clarity. I've more, the, the way I think about it is that I've sunk down below my thoughts into something different. And that place is always clear if I can get there, right? Or that place is always settled. I don't know that I would always use the word clear, um, but that place is always quiet and still and settled if I can sink below my thoughts. And I think, um, I was thinking about meditation and when I, I never got this, I remember as a kid seeing a bumper sticker that said, don't believe your thoughts. And I was like, what the heck does that mean? Right? Like, what does that even mean? But I feel like that's something that, um, meditation in particular has given me is like just an ability to like, Oh, look at those thoughts. Right. And not like believe that they're the truth or not to like start going down. Look, and I'm not perfect at it. I go down a million rabbit holes a day. About, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> just a name, you know, I was in one. I was in five this morning. So uh, but there's this idea for me. It's like when when I hear you say there can be a clarity of feeling when there's even not clarity of thought. I I 100 percent for me, it's like once I get below my thoughts, there is a settling or a stillness that I can then move from no matter how uncertain the thoughts or unclear the thoughts or. Yeah. And I just think it's fascinating that that kind of personal training directly mm-hmm. translates into an ability to work in very diverse rooms. Like, and, and, right. and, and like, that is like, you know, cause you can do as many courses as you like on facilitation or system ah, change, or yeah. you can get all the models you like, you can go write your PhD you know, but I, I genuinely believe that like some of the best training in this work, do you know what I mean, is about being able to go inside and sit with that kind of uh, the kind of inherent confusion of being a human being. Well, Tim, though, <laughs> without like, freaking out, yeah. you know, <laughs> but Tim, like as you say that, I think, well, and isn't that maybe why we cling to models so tightly so that we don't actually have to enter into that confusion, right? Like, uh, because I was thinking, 
I think, I mean, I was, I think you're right. And I think that I see people doing this work and this is not, I'm not feeling like a huge amount of judgment or like, but that aren't necessarily grounded or have deep personal practices. I mean, I think certainly the, the, the practitioners that I think are the most effective and that I want to work with all do, but I think the, the other pieces we can, we can go inside for some of that stillness and clarity and certainty, or we could go to a model, right? And that also provides something. I don't think it's the same quality of work. I think that's why, like you, I think that's why if we had clung to a model two weeks ago, it never would have worked. That would not have been enough, right? If we had just kind of said like, come back to a model. Um, but I think what we did instead, and I think that this goes directly to the conversation on personal practice. I think what we did instead is we said, come back to yourself and come back to ourselves. And so this idea of personal practice and having it to draw on allows you to allows you, allows me, allows us to call that forth in others. Come back to yourself here. We'll come back to ourselves collectively, right? We're not going to spin out. Um, and so it actually feels really key. And I always say, you know, usually not as often anymore, but a couple of times a year, someone offers to take me out for coffee and, you know, um, they say, how do you do what you do? I want to do what you do. And that sounds like an amazing job. And uh, almost always one of my first questions is like, what's right. your, what's your practice? What are your personal practices? What do you got? How are you coming home to yourself? What's that look like? And, um, and often I get the response of like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I'm totally gonna, I'm on that. But like, how do you like build a business plan? And um, and since I'm terrible at business planning, I don't have a lot of answers. So <laughs> that's but- just not true. Just, to, just for the sake of the listener. That's just like not true. But I do always go back to like, you know, they're like, I feel like there are a million business models that you could adopt, right? You'll find the right one. But what, what I, what like my, if I'm going to give any advice is like, get that, get that personal practice, make it personal practices, right? Because there's not, there's not just one. We both meditate. uh, We both run. I know like for me, you know, I, I may be so stressed that meditation is quite hard for me and running doesn't quite calm me down. And so then I need to journal or then I need to pray or, you know, whatever, like it's not like one thing for me. It's like a suite of practices um, that I somehow intuitively know to turn toward, um, daily, but also when things get stressful, because I think the other thing to say, right. And if it's, if we haven't said it yet is it's not like you just turn to your personal practice in times of stress. No, no, a good, a good colleague of ours, Mo Drescher, she, she always says to me that, um, you know, when you're in the periods where you have space for personal practice, you get to do a whole bunch that like acts as a bank for when things get crazy and you have mm-hmm. less time to do it, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she's just like, yeah, you're, you're doing all of your personal practice now because you know that later it's going to be harder and there's going to be less time to do it. You know, mm-hmm. there's going to be a period where things, and I've always kind of liked that idea. And, uh, uh, and I do think you're right. I think there is a whole suite. So if I just think about, yes, I meditate, I run, uh, I talk to people I care about, like I talk to Katie, I talk to you, I talk to other close friends of mine. And mm-hmm. I do feel like because I'm such an oral processor, you know, mm. like I actually make, I make sense of things through conversation, oh. literally, like I open my mouth and then things start making greater sense to me. Whoa. You know, mm-hmm. I know it's weird. Um, it's not me, and, uh, it's good though. No, it's to- right. It's me though. And, uh, and, and so like, I, like talking almost has to be one of my personal practices, you know? 
but I have to be oh. deliberate. If I just if I just hold things inside, I actually go a little nuts, you know. So like, oh. I have to be quite deliberate about like opening up about things that are quite vulnerable to me to people who are close to me, you know. And I have to be disciplined about that, mm-hmm. you know. And um, mm-hmm. and and then I think, and, and then I think there's practices that are hosted by other people for us. So if I think about um, uh, my, my therapeutic practice, that I have a therapist mm. who I work yeah. with, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. um, I think about the fact that uh, I've now got to the point where I've realized I'm 40 odd years old and like this vehicle just needs regular maintenance and I get massage <laughs> once a month. <laughs> you know what I mean? But there's, and I know maybe we're stretching into the realm of self-care. I mean, I know, I, I understand that, but uh-huh. these, but these are things in my life that like kind of build my resilience, my capacity to like be with myself, but, and also mm-hmm. be with others. And I just want to say there's a distinction for me between those things and like drinking wine and watching Netflix, you know, and, yeah. uh, and, and, and I'm not saying the the things that allow us to escape aren't important. I watch Premier League soccer, and when I watch <laughs> a game, do you know what I mean? I really don't yeah. think about anything else. Like I just love it. Like that game that happened this week uh, between Tottenham and Man City, like one of the most amazing games of football. And I've been watching football since I was six years old. I mean, just incredible. You know, like I didn't think about anything else for two hours and just loved it, mm-hmm. you know, but it was a total escape from my life. Yeah. You know? And that's really healthy. It's really, really healthy, but it's really different than personal practice. Right. Which is actually like, what are the things that bring you home to yourself? Right. And um, so yeah. this isn't about like watching Netflix or watching soccer is bad. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's about, no, that's an important part of self-care and looking after yourself but what are the practices that bring you home to yourself that give you that capacity to be in the midst of often uh, enormous uncertainty enormous speed enormous complexity um and uh not freak out be able to hold it together be able to uh, uh create the conditions for not only yourself but others to move through it and find just enough clarity to take the next step which feels like a job description for us you know yeah. Well, I mean, first, thank you for bringing up the very important game. I know we were all thinking about it, wondering, right, how it felt yes. for you, you know. Yes. Um, thank so you. thanks. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for bringing that in. <laughs> no, yeah, I love every time. I mean, I love to tease you about it, but I but I do. We all need those things that just bring us escape into light. Like, I actually yeah. think that that's incredibly important. Like, it's it's not necessarily what we're talking about today, but I think it's a key part of kind of well-rounded, full person. You know, sometimes I think, you know, you, you, can, you could meet us, right? And we're doing this big systems change work. And then, like, we've got a personal practice. So, like, we're going to go meditate or go take a run. And, like, it could actually feel quite heavy, right? It could kind of feel like a life that's not full of what I think is quite delightful. I find that in a lot of ways, my personal practice lets me access joy a lot more. So mm-hmm. it actually um, is quite contributing to my life, even though it's a, a very disciplined thing. It actually brings a lot of joy to my life or lets me access joy in my life in really different ways. Um, and I was thinking about, and I think this is one of the points I want to kind of raise up because as you were talking about, I need to talk to understand or I need to, I was just like, wow, so different. I mean, it's not, mm-hmm. I also have a therapist who's incredibly important and 
and helps me in ways that I don't get other places. Um, and that is not, for me, there is some, uh, I think that's why journaling is so important to me. I actually need, I don't tend to think out loud. That's just not how my brain is wired, right? So I tend to need to kind of get something on paper or have thought it through in a run, and then I can think it through out loud. Why are you smiling? <laughs> oh, because uh, because I know that's true of you, but that's mm-hmm. just not always how I experience you. Yeah. You know? Because yeah. I know I have the enormous joy of hearing you think out loud. Well, you know, yeah, but but I know that isn't the dominant way you turn up in the world. Yeah, so I was just like, I don't know. That's why I was smiling. Yeah, no, and and well, I appreciate that because I I think out loud with very few people, and you're mm. one of my people, right? So it's not. Mm. I wouldn't say it's it doesn't. I I need it. It's something I need to do, uh, but it's not like a personal practice for me in the same way it is. I would say like mm. journaling or, and also I think the other thing you mentioned, you mentioned massage and I know that that, that can be self-care. I have um, a polarity practice, which is with someone else, right? Which is a physical somatic practice um, that feels actually absolutely key to how I show up, how I understand, like how I take up space and my shape in the world and uh, for me, it's kind of like this, I always say like, there's kind of three things happening for me. Like there's these deep personal practices that I do on my own. There's therapy that I do with my brilliant therapist. And then there's polarity that I do with my other brilliant uh, somatics practitioner. And those things keep me fully in a room, like just right mm. there. Right. I even if, that. you know, like, even if like, there's a part of me that wants to flee and it's hard, like those three things keep me in the room. And I think, you know, what you were pointing to is um, that that practice, and, and you talk about it so beautifully, so I'd love to invite you to do it here. But this can all sound like, oh, okay, of course you have to be centered. Of course you have to be grounded. Of course that helps you hold a room. Um, but it can sound a bit self-indulgent, right? Like when we say like coming home to yourself, right? Like that can feel soft or it can feel, and so I, you talk very beautifully about how that's not always a pleasant experience could you say more about that I, I will and I just want to just for me I want when you say somatics what can you just like what exact is that physical yeah 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 it's like body embodiment it's like the, the okay it's like the, okay yeah it's like the physical expression or the felt expression it's like in your body okay I just didn't know the word that's a great word I'm going to use that because I always because so with theater work kind of fall into the into that realm, like doing like the Augusta Boal stuff, would that be considered like a somatic practice? I think it has a somatic component, right? Like the right. when you do okay. like statues and things, I think it has like a somatic component for sure. Oh, yeah. I was just thinking about doing the theater work when I first started out. I remember doing physical work and that actually releasing or touching on memories or releasing feelings. And when I was doing a lot of that theater work. Um, people would often after the sessions come up to me and say, oh, wow, that was really intense. Like, and it was because going through that physical work had actually released some feelings or emotions or memories within them. But like, as a young practitioner, it was re- always really surprising to me, you know? So I just, I, I kind of want to just underscore a little bit that this isn't just like sitting on a cushion necessarily. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, that, 
yeah. That you know, we we both run. Uh, I, I'm involved in massage. We do theatre work. There's things we do that kind of engage our bodies in being present. This isn't just about like quieting the mind. You yeah. know, in fact, I've, I like quieting my mind is like an impossible task. It's more about mm-hmm. like, can I sit mm-hmm. peacefully with how outrageously active my mind is. <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, yeah. So- well, and you know, Tim. I mean, it was years, years of my running practice before I could sit on a cushion. And it wasn't like I ran to sit on a cushion, but that that kind of sitting quietly was not at all accessible to me for years. And and I would just say my meditation is a moving meditation. It has to be. That's like how my body's wired. That's what's the that's what's up for me. And so, ever you get it however you reach it. But I, but I think the, I think for me, part of the takeaways, but don't expect it to be fun or peaceful or gentle because sometimes it's actually quite intense to be inside your own mind and working with your own cast of characters and noticing your own thoughts. They're not always beautiful. That's for sure. You'll find out things about yourself. Um, So I'm going to, I'm going to get to your kind of rigor piece, but so one last thing, as I remember, I tell this story a fair bit, but I think it's nice to tell here, which is that I remember when I was uh, running the youth, starting the youth program in down in Yarmouth County in here in Nova Scotia. And we were working with six young people um, and, uh, uh, you know, all who were kind of like coming out of pretty intense circumstances in their lives. Right. And we were working with them over a nine month period. And pretty early on, I asked somebody to come in and do a two day meditation workshop with them. Because I mm. wanted the, I wanted the young people who I was working with to build a capacity to be able to sit with themselves, right? Because you know part of what we were doing was like training those six young people so they could then go and work with other young people in our community. Mm-hmm. And so I had this meditation instructor come in, and and like by lunchtime of the first day, he was driving away in his car, you know, and like essentially the what? kids are just like, yeah, have I not told you this story? Uh, what yeah 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 so essentially the kids just kicked him out you know and um and so part of that was that <laughs> wow you the listeners can't see tuesday's face but she is like really laughing right now um <laughs> so the the kids just kicked him out and, and and part of it was that he was largely used to teaching meditation to white middle class people Right. Mm, And that is definitely mm -hmm. not who these kids were. Right. Like Mm -hmm. the kind of language he was using and the approach he took um, just wasn't working. But more than that, because then I sat down with the kids afterwards and I was like, okay, obviously a bad call on my part in terms of who I brought in. Sorry. You know, Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. uh, but this piece of like you being able to sit in chaos and not freak out is really important part of our programming is really important. A part of what we're trying to build here is like your ability to sit in chaos is going to impact your ability to work with other kids in our community when they're in chaos. And if you can't sit with your own, how on earth are you going to be able to work with other people's Mm. and help them Mm -hmm. through theirs? You know, like this is a, for me, this is a very practical leadership skill. You know what I mean? Like, and, and, um, and, uh, and so there was a lot of silence, silence and a lot of like poking of the fire. We were sitting around, um, and then uh, one of the young women who we were working with just kind of lent in and said, Tim, you know, I just feel like you have no idea what we face 
when we sit on our own with ourselves on a cushion for 30 to 45 minutes in silence. You have no idea what's coming up inside of us, you know? Mm. And, um, and, and I was like, yeah, yeah, you're right. You know, you're right. And, um, so I think that piece of like, how long did you say you ran for? Um, it was years. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I mean, it was, you know? I mean, it was five years maybe. Yeah. I don't know. So like, cons- so there was like, I just, I just, I just, I felt like that really spoke to that. And then, and then the next thing was after another kind of like long round of silence and poking the fire, um, I was just like, who, I was like, well, what do you all do when things get crazy in your life? Like, what do you do just to like cope with it? What are the kind of strategies you already have, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and I remember, I remember the, the, young kid sitting next to me kind of like sighed he looked at me with this like half amused smile and mm-hmm. he said i'll go fishing and i was like wicked right. interesting and then mm. um and then and then one of the girls lent in and she said uh, she said i listen to music mm-hmm. you know and then the other girl was like yeah me too that's what i do i listen to music you know and then one of the other lads lent in big bloke big boy like and and he was like i go to the gym i'll work out mm-hmm. you know um mm-hmm. uh and then and then the other young girl lent in and she was like i take walks in the woods you know and and it was like all right let's start there yeah let's start yeah. there and so for the we had we had them five days of the week and for mm-hmm. each day of the week, we did half an hour of one of those every day, you know? So we'd do half an hour of fishing on Mondays. We'd do a workout ah. on Tuesdays. They'd bring tunes in for half an hour on Wednesdays. We'd take a walk in the woods on Thursdays and we'd do it on Friday. And I guess what I'm trying to say is like, we all have personal practices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They Like we have them, they're available to us. We're already doing mm-hmm. them. But when mm-hmm. you choose to step into the work of hosting others and you choose to step into a world of... Uh, uh, of action or change making that is inherently unpredictable that involves multiple perspectives and races and classes and uh, economic backgrounds and educational backgrounds and countries and nationalities let alone the complexity of the issue you're facing mm-hmm. right the, the complexity of the challenge whether it's organizational or societal whether it's sport whether it's child poverty whether like let alone the complexity of the issue suddenly what is your personal practice for your own life has to become a discipline that mm-hmm. enables you to be able to do the work. Right. 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 And so this, so when you say this isn't about self-indulgence, that's absolutely true. This mm-hmm. is about getting results people. Mm-hmm. Right. Like if we want to get results in these increasingly uncertain, increasingly, uh, uh, information saturated rapidly changing circumstances where that where there is inevitably conflict and colliding of worldviews like we have to be able to uh sit in those places and navigate them without freaking out not just contributing to the chaos and so so it's self-indulgent if you're going to go sit in a cave for yourself and think that by becoming enlightened you becoming enlightened, the world is magically going to become a better place. Hmm. Right. Hmm. And for me, for me personally, it doesn't feel self-indulgent or I'm released from my neurosis around self-indulgence when, (laughs) when I feel like, uh, 
I'm not just doing this because it makes me happier and more full and more whole and more integrated, but it actually enables me to turn up in the world and deal with so many of the issues that raise my ire mm-hmm. uh, in a way that is most helpful. You know, mm. so um, so I feel like in all of our work, you know, when we talk about the quality of our relationships impacts our ability to get results, that's not soft. Like focusing on our ability to be in good relationship across difference is a critical mm-hmm. technique, right? To navigating complexity and coming up with solutions, right? You know, putting equity in the center isn't just moral. Like right. if we don't build an analysis and an understanding of equity, it's highly unlikely we're going to be able to navigate the complexity and difference that's going to be in the room when we try and resolve complex issues. It's results oriented and it's moral, right? Mm -hmm. And it's the same here. It's like personal practice. Like if I actually want to be able to lead in the midst of a complexity, I have to be working on myself to be able to do Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. You know, because that's going to enable me to be able to do the work in the room. And so, yeah, this is about self, but this is also about the calling of these times and the work that is needed for those of us who are being brave enough to see clearly and raise ourselves to meet it you know not shy away but raise ourselves to meet it because this isn't some like spiritual trip we're all on like Mm. this shit's real in the world right now (laughs) you know and and so then it becomes well who am i going to be in that yeah and the only way i find that really out is by going inside of myself discovering things about myself and discovering who i am and then taking that out in the world to test it and then going back inside of myself and learning again, you know? Sorry, yeah. that was a very long answer and a very convoluted way of getting to where you were at. But anyway, I'll be quiet for a bit. That's all, No, that's all right. I think, I mean, that's what, that's what we're here to do. We're on a podcast to talk, Tim. It feels like. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but I just talk for a very long time and you listened really graciously. So I'm just going to, yeah, what, what come, what's coming up for you? Um, well, I really like, um, I, I like the, what I heard as an invitation and what you said, right? So it's not, I think the two of us aren't sitting here saying, oh, there's one more thing you need to do or there's one more bar that you need to clear to be able to do this work because the invitation I heard was like, you all already have personal practice. We all already have personal practices. It's actually about like kind of turning that on, right? Like actually moving toward, you know, a walk in the woods can be a meander where you let your mind go. And, and, and that could be personal practice and it could be where you take a contemplation or it could be where you come, where you vow to only be with the trees or, you know, I don't know what it means, but like, you know, like the same activity, right? I think what I hear you doing is like, you might already have a personal practice. There's some intention you can bring to it. Even if the intention is actually, this is my personal practice and I'm going to see it as such, right? And I'm going to see it as a place I come home to myself. Um, and there could be a million ways to do that. So so what I heard you, when you say we all have personal practices, that for me makes it immediately more accessible. We're not saying like go out and become a, med- a champion meditator. If you want to do no. that, that's great. Please. Great. Go do that. You know, please, you know, we're not saying go out and develop a running practice. Like it is what is accessible to you now. What are the ways you are already coming home to yourself? Yay. And then put some intention to it. Put some rigor to it. Right. Like put some yeah. like, you know, like if you like 
you know, if, if you like journaling, like, you know, and you do it occasionally, maybe that, like, that's a great entree to personal practice. Try to do it once a week or twice. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't don't know what it means, but there's something about, I guess what I, what I heard was like, yes, this is absolutely critical. It's absolutely critical that you have a personal practice to do this work and do it well. And that for me feels like a line. I think that's true. There's no, there's no part of me that can back off of that assertion. And I think what that doesn't have to feel like is another heavy thing for you to do. I think um, I think there's lots of ways that folks are doing it. And I did have to laugh because uh, <laughs> I think you said we're not on some spiritual trip. That's not what this is about. And I'm like, well, you know, here's the thing. I'm thinking about the meaning of life a lot these days. And maybe we are on a spiritual trip. But on the other hand, like part of that trip is like knowing yourself and and uh, yeah. doing what you're here to do. Yeah. And I don't know yeah. how to know yourself and do what you're here to do without some some kind of like personal practice that brings you home. Um, and I know that home, like bringing home, that's always been a, a real place of um, refuge for me. Like myself as my home has been a real place of refuge. And I know that's not the case for everyone. So I just want to say personal practice can also feel scary. You know, it's like it's yeah. like with that with that young woman said to you, you don't know what comes up for us, Tim, if we're quiet for 30 or 40 Mm. minutes on a cushion. And I just want to kind of be real that, that it can be a scary place. And, you know, my thought is it's all happening anyway. You may as well know it, right? Like whether you acknowledge it or not, like it's all happening underneath the surface. Um, Mm. So it's worth, it's worth knowing and, and, and deciding and determining how you're going to be with all of that conflict inside you. And, and, uh, and I think some of my, my favorite people to be around um, are very aware that it's not peaceful inside, but they can actually like find some peace anyway and like and share it with others. And I think that's the that's the other piece around, you know, we all know those folks um, who like it's just good to be around because there is some settledness or some I think at the start of this, you said some clarity like that's underneath a feeling of clarity. And I said, like, it's underneath the thoughts. But I think we all know those folks like that we just want to be around because there's something centered and grounded and not movable in them. Um, and so that's part of, it's part of, I at least that. for me, my, my aspiration for my practice. Oh, I love that. Mm. And uh, thanks, Juice. I just have this feeling of like, because I don't think complexity is just in our professional world, you know? Like, you know, I don't think the kind of overwhelm that we're talking about is just something that's limited to like systems change, leadership and strategy, which is a lot of obviously what we're about. Like, but I think it's in like, you know, what if personal practice was just one of those things that's integrated into our idea of what it means to be a parent Mm, or a friend mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or a son or a son or a leader in my faith community yeah, or a leader in my sports community or a coach or what if the idea of personal practice was actually something that was fundamentally connected to our understanding of what it means to be a professional, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? A leader. Uh, I mean, it's just like all of these things that we have that are fundamentally attached to our ability to deliver something, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, if we can begin to just start folding in, not just the delivery, but our ability to be with ourselves into our scope of understanding of what those words mean. Um, I think that would be enormously helpful and healthy. Mm. I know that's what we're encouraging many of the leaders and people we work with 
you know, in communities or in organizations to be doing. It's just like, well, expand your understanding of what it means to be a leader. What if it could integrate this piece too? Right, right. You know? Love it. Well, this is a, a longer conversation and, and I think you're right. I think we, uh, you know, I said we're not all on a spiritual trip and, uh, and I didn't mean that to be dismissive because I think I totally am on a spiritual trip, especially at the I moment. I know you I are. A, <laughs> I know, right? Thank you for calling me out on that, <laughs> as you are so often do. Um, uh, it was, you know, I've just ordered a whole bunch of books on like in, on Anglo-Saxon spirituality to go back into my own history and roots mm. from my own country of what is the roots of spirituality that's kind of like pre-Christian or or in that period mm. where we had a Celtic Christianity and an indigenous belief systems that were kind of merging in our country, um, kind of post-Roman departure and pre-Norman invasion. And, and it's just an incredible period. And I'm going back there to say, what happened? So what, when, what, what was the spirituality that's embedded in my history there mm. that I can connect to or find some meaning for? So I think, I think you're right to call that out. Thank you. Mm. Well, happy, happy to, um, you know, I don't, I didn't mean to call you out. I just like, I just was like, no, I don't mean it in, I don't mean it in some like big dramatic way. You know, my big fear, I keep telling you, like my big fear is like, I'm going to be one of those folks like wearing scarves and long robes and ringing bells. And you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, that's where I'm headed. No, I'm not. But I just had to laugh because I, I heard that. So, <laughs> so, uh, you know, um, so right. shall we go into our song of the week and our poem of the week? Let's do it. Yeah. Okay, I have the song this week and I'm so I have a poem. <laughs> I'm so excited to share it even though I cannot pronounce the group's name. Carry away my dead leaves, let me baptize my soul with the help of your waters. Sink my pains and complaints, let the river take them. River So I maybe it's Ebay, nice. I-B-E-Y-I. They're twin sisters. The song I'm going to recommend is River. And it feels really appropriate for this actual episode. Because not only do I love it, I feel like it's like a, it's like a beautiful morning. Like begin to like wake up, be in your body, move through the house kind of song. Like I just love it. It also talks about like coming to a river to wash your soul. Wash my soul. I will come to your river. Wash my soul again. Feels like that's really appropriate for personal practice as we talk about it. There is some, there is some healing, cleansing, knowing, understanding, amazing thing that can happen in personal practice. Um, so that's my song this week. Which, uh, even though I can't, you know, say the group name, River, it'll be on the playlist. It'll be in the show notes you'll be able to get it. Brilliant. And I have a poem from uh, uh, the incredible Kate Tempest. Um, and if anyone doesn't know her work, go find Kate Tempest. Incredible, incredible poet and incredible musician. Uh, this is a poem called Radical Empathy, and it comes from her book called Hold Your Own. I feel a peace beyond these fumes. It's coming. I can feel it surging, drumming on the curbs. It's burning up. It's gaining ground. A peace that we are born deserving. 
One we learn to think absurd. It's in us, or at least the yearning. Quickly, stamp it down. It must be getting nearer. We can feel it shake within us while the echo of each violence done pulls out our teeth and breaks our fingers. Each time you walk the street and flinch at shadows, see a demon coming, visualise your body falling under trains or into nothing. Every time you sense a figure running for you, grabbing hold to beat you down and leave you dying, rob you blind and leave you cold. It's not the fear or the desire to fall. It's memory. Each wrong is repeated relentlessly. All thought is eternal. All life is empathy. The streets are thick with everything that's ever happened anywhere. Feel it in the presence of the crowds, shouting in your ears when you are bowed and in tears. It's here. We can turn our backs forever, but we'll never drown it out. Every time a body's bled its last, a child's dead before it's learned that life is fast, it stays behind repeating. You say you can feel the monsters in the dark. They are not monsters. They are memories of human things that need to be addressed, appeased. But there is peace. Not heralded by muted brass or soaring strings, not worried by the children necking fizzy drinks and sticky wings, but in us throbbing, telling us we resolutely must not partake in one more horror, if we're to learn to trust. Fine enough for poets, but in real life, the blood is flowing. Fine enough to know it, but it feels like the love is slowing down. Getting tired, cannot lift its weary head. And all of it continues, and still nothing can be said. We are not hateful creatures. We are good. Our goodness screams for peace. Everything that's happened can be felt. Every mouth deserves to speak. Whichever words come to it in the throes of truthful feeling. But instead, we plunge into numbness. It's much safer. Safety's so appealing. And what's wrong with wanting comforts? My family are worth protecting. Why should I concern myself with people I've never met? And no one's got my back, so why should I have theirs? My heart throws its head against my ribs. It's denting every bone. It's venting something it has known since I arrived and felt it beat. Kate Tempest. All right, that's it for this episode of Find the Outside, the podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find podcasts. New episodes of the podcast are available every second Tuesday. If you'd like to get in touch with us about something you heard on the show, you can reach us at podcast at findtheoutside.com. You can find links to any of the resources, poems, books, songs we mentioned during the show in the show notes for this episode over at findtheoutside.com slash podcast or in the description for the podcast in the podcast app you're listening to us on. Thanks to Mark Coffin at Sound Good Studio for making us sound so amazing. And thanks to Gary Blakemore for the awesome opening and closing music. See you next time. Bye.